0: In our next conversation with Coach Jackson, we discussed the importance of having a system as a leader and this is perhaps one of the most fundamental aspects of what we'd like to accomplish as we learn about coaching and leadership is to think about it systematically and how we can develop a system that permeates everything that we do as coaches and leaders. When we were discussing having a system, coach was clear that it's not just a basketball thing to have a system. This applies to just about any sport that we're leading or even to things outside of sports. So although our our touch point here is largely his experiences as a leader in the basketball environment, these are beyond the game of basketball. One of the overriding points here is that the system is bigger than any, any individual. And a statement that coach Jackson has made a number on a number of occasions is that the, the whole is greater than the sum of the individual parts. <clears throat> so the, the, the system allows us to get to something greater that's outside of ourselves, allows us each to, to contribute to something bigger than ourselves. And that's really a critical part, as we all know, of being part of a team and of leading a team, is to get everyone to buy in to that greater thing than themselves. This has really practical implications, as we discussed, as we learned from Coach, and as we've read about in his book, in that everything we do on our teams, if we have a well-conceptualized system, flows from that, meaning... What coach described as skills and drills, the way that practice was run, were all breakdowns of the way the system played. Offensively, defensively, and in every way. All that was worked on was flowed through building up to this bigger way of playing. He he used the term starting from the ground up. So you would show what the finished product would look like, let the players see that, but then bring it back to the beginning, to the very foundations, and build up from there. He even told the story of one of his former players saying, as they were working on these very basics of building up the system, saying, I feel like I'm back in middle school. And because that's part of what he emphasized, was building up from the, from the ground up. i say a few more things about that, about having a system and what it is and why it's important. First of all, we we discussed the difference between having a rigid structure that told players, for example, when they're talking about an offense, to run to, from point A to point B to point C, and overly st- structured, overly rigid, is not what we're talking about. What Coach described was a series of principles and guideposts that allowed us, that allowed the team. To have a structure, but also freedom within it. The structure is the foundation, but as he discussed, it provided a baseline from which spontaneity could flow. So if you have read Coach's work or watched his teams, he encouraged and allowed for and created space for spontaneity. But it had to be rooted in this greater thing, this greater structure that was provided. And so that is a really key point, in my opinion, um, as we talk about leading our teams, again, in any sport. Another point relating to that, again, our focus here is on having a system, is that it allows for us to look at individual players as they relate to the greater whole. And, And so things like, for example, evaluation of a player or critiquing a player it can be not a personal thing, but you. What we can critique and look at their work and lend feedback based on how what they're doing relates to the greater thing, to the system. So it's in some ways depersonalizing the feedback. I'm not saying I don't value you. I'm saying what you are doing, the action, is or is not feeding into our system. Again, it, it's, it seems like a subtle, small thing but it's actually a very big thing in how we communicate with our players, with the members of our team. Also, it allows us to, again, as Coach said, to structure in a purposeful way who we have on our team. So if, if you're in a situation where you're recruiting players or you're selecting players, whether you're a professional coach, selecting players, scouting players, or if you're at college, Or even a high school coach, if you're recruiting, if you have a defined system, you know what you are looking for. You know the skill sets that play into that system. He provided a really nice example of Steve Kerr and how he fit so well. He had the poise. He had the ability to handle the ball. He he had the ability to see what was going on in the game along with the other great skills he had of passing and shooting, but coach could see from an early time that this would be a great fit in his system. It's a very good example that we can all learn from. Another point that we discussed and before we get to this is the the sustainability that a system provides, that as players come and go, and a lot of us lead or coach in places where we do see a lot of people come and go, whether they come for four years or one year or longer. We have a lot of turnover on our teams. A system is something that endures and sustains beyond any individuals. So it allows us to have a degree of consistency as as we're moving forward. Then the last thing we'll say, and it relates both to the, a book we've discussed, golf in the kingdom, but also the coach's broader perspective on coaching. And I'll read what he said here. And at one point in our conversation, he said, "You're not thinking alone. You're thinking together. It's a team thought." He uses the term "one mind, one breath." So whether that's through formal meditation and mindfulness types, practices, visualization practices, things that coach used with his teams, or in other ways, the system allows a oneness to the group that is really important. So, let's move now to the conversation with Coach Jackson about having a system. Well, Coach, we had some good conversations yesterday about leadership and especially like how you work with with a unit and how you work with your staff as a head coach and we did talk a little bit about having a system and why that was important but I think for a lot of our young coaches especially just for us to get some clarity on what we mean by having a system and it's, we mean more here than just having like an offense that you run but really a systematic way of going about what you're doing and we've been talking a little bit about, uh, this is coach Ron Ecker's book that um, we've recommended. It's a really interesting and good book and I know he's a friend of yours from over the years. Um, Can you talk about coach Ecker a a bit and what what is his background? How did you
1: work with coach over the years? My first occasion of running into Ron was, uh, he he was coaching on the CBA in Louisville. And I was coaching in Albany, New York, in in, uh, CBA, and so we we had a couple of games uh, against Louisville Uh, and uh, I followed his career, which went back to uh, college and then came into the NBA and he was in the NBA for a long period of time as an assistant in many places. you know, the last time I think we connected in something that was really intense was the 9 Orlando series that we won a championship oh, mm-hmm. when he was with the Orlando mm-hmm. team. And he was also uh, doing some scouting for Dallas when one of my assistants, Jim Clemens, went and became the head coach, coach of Dallas. And he ended up the last uh, phase of his career with Cleveland. Um, and then he basically was retired or, you know, they moved on. But he uh, still, uh, even five years ago, and maybe he was late 70s, wanted to coach, and asked me to give a reference for him to coach a college team. That's how interested he was, and coach, he's in great shape. Um, but yeah, so uh, he did a number of videos on uh, YouTube called Basketball Top Pro. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did one of those videos with him and we talked about the system and that's kind of how we got started. uh, uh, Intimate communications uh, where exchanging texts and things, knowledge of who he is and his dedication to the game was known, but really the personal relationship then developed. When you referred those to me, I started
0: watching them. They're really, really good videos. So we'll post those for some of you to watch. Coach Eckers' videos that, and they really mirror this book. I you know he's written a, another one. So there's a lot of really good things, very specific to basketball. Yes. And I think some of what we'll talk about today is specific to basketball, but really, a lot of it transcends the game of basketball too. It could be we have coaches who work with football or. Uh, soccer, swimming, whatever it is, I think a lot of the logic of what we're talking about isn't
1: unique to basketball. Agreed. Um, and, uh, you know, even the you have a rowing instructor and, you know, one of the great books is about men in the boat, you know, mm-hmm. that was written maybe uh, inside of ten years ago, yeah. that is one of the... Washington... Yeah, the, Washington, the University of Washington team that, you know, was in the Olympics in 36 and you know it was a surprise a national contender uh and you know these guys that were in the boat you know, the, you know and rowing is such a team sport mm-hmm. and, you know it, it becomes so i mean it transcends basketball no doubt about it but basketball is like a five band cooperative thing with 10 players 12 players maybe on a team and you know you want to have the ability to interject Players that'll know what is happening. Uh, you know, one of my mentors, uh, Tex Winter, who coached at Kansas State, <clears throat> was renowned for taking you know some kids out of the farm communities and playing them in Kansas State and having national ranked teams. He actually, when he went into the NBA, he had I think the best college record at that time of coaches in. Uh, the early 70s, he left Washington, University of Washington, went into uh, the San Diego Rockets, which then became the Houston Rockets, but he uh, went back to Northwestern, and as you know, Northwestern is not a, a school you know as athletic, at least at that point they were known as an academic school without scholarships, but he actually ended up uh, second place to Michigan at that time, which was a national contender team. But he uh, often would recruit players that uh, were not well-schooled, talented enough to play, and then would redshirt them, which was kind of a known thing. So you get, you know, redshirt year and a freshman year because freshmen did play collegiate Mm -hmm. sports that time. They were known for being a student, you know, you had maybe eight or ten games as a freshman team. And then as sophomore through seniors, you were able to participate on the varsity. So we get two years of training, which uh, you know really thought that you know by the time that these young men were sophomores, they were well enough schooled in the the offensive system that he, he ran. So uh, we would, you know, have players sometimes come in free agents, uh, replacement guys. we have gonna talk about that a little bit. Guys have. the kind of uh, fundamental skills that we thought were necessary to play in our offense. And they would come in and, uh, you know, we'd have one month, 28 days of training camp. And we just figured it would take until Thanksgiving. And our season started, you know, either like Halloween evening or November 1st. And, you know, so it would take three weeks of the season. So, for pros even, it would take seven weeks or so of integration into the system before they really knew how to play, and so the system, you know, is important. But you have, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> you have to be really patient because there are certain, you know, things about a system that require, you know, bonding with the players hmm. that are inside the system because they have to know. So uh, <clears throat> I hate when I used to get talks to uh, groups, I used to talk about a system as being one of the uh, necessary items in whatever you're doing, whether you're in business or whatever else, you needed to have a system because it brought people together under one, one roof, and it wasn't about you and your direction, but the system and being able to play inside of uh, a directive that we were all working towards. We have this uh, ability to build this so ron and you know even my coach Tex winner my um, colleague you know used to encourage you know build a system we need you need to have a system to coach uh, i don't care whether it's my system or whatever but it's something you need to believe in so that you can coach these guys from experience from an experiential level so you, you know exactly what it was the interesting thing about my career is that my coach, who was a Hall of Fame NBA coach, who was at the University of North Dakota when I went there, he was young, 32 years of age when he took that job, and went on to coach uh, you know, various collegiate teams for the next three years until he became the Cleveland Cavaliers coach and then went a championship with Boston Celtics and on and on, uh, and you know, coached over 2,500 NBA games. Coach Fitch. Yeah, Coach Bill Fitch. He went down to Kansas and learned the triangle offense in the coaching clinic, and came back and changed our offense to run a triangle offense when I was a senior in college. So I I had the experience of playing in it, even though he didn't call it the triangle. He was, you know, developing his own identity as a coach. So uh, when I went back to the Bulls as an assistant coach and. In the summertime, we would run the triangle offense because the general manager brought in Tex winter to teach skills and drills. And because there are skills that are necessary to run this offense, in the summer or free agent camps we would uh, introduce and run the triangle offense in the summer league. And uh, at that particular time, our head coach wasn't using the triangle on the floor. But we wanted the players. We wanted the players to be skilled enough to be able to do the things necessary. So there's, there's, you know, we talked a little bit at one point in one of our conversations about, you know, the sum of the parts. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. But you can take a system apart and teach parts of the system. And so the skills and the drills that we would execute, you know, brought all those things into play. So they're all connected was of the connectivity. You have written a lot about, and I also see Coach Ecker talk about the
0: importance of simplicity in, in, in some of this stuff. In that, um, you referred actually a little bit yesterday to Fog Allen, and I can't remember which, was it Coach Winter who went and saw the. No, it was line Gardner. Running? It was his oh, coach, his coach. Yeah, that he well, went to. The, and I, I, I wanted to ask you about the distinction between having a system which is kind of a general set of principles versus something that tells you exactly what to do and where to go. So like a rigid structure versus
1: a system of principles, is there a difference? Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I think so, but I think everything has to be simplistic enough that it could be uh, taught and players can be assured that there's really no great mistakes that you're not going inter- to you know, disrupt everything just by not making a mistake. We had, uh, we had principles of a sound offense that kind of generated what we did, and, and the basic thing uh, that we uh, informed our players about was basketball is a 90-foot game that's played from end to end, and you, you need to be able to play at a high level of uh, speed, but yet still under control. It's a very simple thing. And that the second principle is that spacing is, is exceptional is, is really one of the most important things because you know one player can guard one defense player can guard two players if their spacing is disrupted, so fa- spacing is 15 to 20 feet between players, and you know that that allows you to read the defense and then uh, incorporate any of your five four teammates, any of the five players, can participate, then, you know, if you can't activate the offense because of pressure or whatever else, it's not a sound offense. You need to be able to have all four players off-ball be able to receive and participate in the offense, regardless of how much pressure is being applied, and, you know, the uh, other aspects of that is that the offense should have skill level for every player. So whether he's a rebounder or he's a ball handler, dribble, drive, whether he's a shooter, uh, whatever, or is able to set screens, whatever his skill level is, it should incorporate those skill levels. And the only uh, uh, kind of thing that we uh, disliked is when we had an overload situation, that we just said don't drive to the baseline because the corner's filled and the center's in the, in the post and you're going you're into traffic and disrupting yeah. spacing. So that was like one of the only things that we you know, had to tell players. But there, there were key passes out of our system, for example, that activated players. Um, I kind of got into the players because there's a lot of um, rap music or, uh, you know, a lot of music that, that you know, really emphasized the 4-4 beat, and our system was built on, you know, if you don't move the ball after two beats, you are disrupting the offense, because people are on the move, and if you don't either shoot, pass, or move the ball, uh, dribble the ball to the basket, you're disrupting the motion, and people are going to then get in uncollected positions. And spacing is going to get jammed, so you got uh, two seconds. So uh, the skill level that we taught was that you had to do footwork and ball possession for the first two counts and survey whatever's going on. The floor, how the defense is playing, and you're overloading the defense so that that became like, how do you see the floor? And you know, then it became some principles or how do you make sound passes? You know, and so then we built. You know, like five or six principles about how to be a sound passer. So, in, in a practice situation, we've just set up and have passing drills, which, you know, is interesting because uh, when I became the coach of the Lakers um, and they initiated this uh, half hour skills and drills, one of the players who was, uh, you know, more skilled player on my team, Rick Fox. Around by me and said, "This feels like I'm back in junior high school, Coach," <laughs> which was really very true. It's about you know re- redeveloping those skills. Uh, you know, you teach pivoting, actually how to pivot, and you know avoid avoid the defense or the defensive pressure, body pressure, by using a pivot. Totally lost in the NBA in this day and age. Which,
0: which is, I, it seems that a lot of our, in a lot of the younger coaches, they will see a system now, there's so much information that's available on YouTube videos or in books, and they can see, I want to run this offense, and they start right away with the end product.
1: Yes. As opposed to building up from the foundations, which is what you're talking about now. Yeah, that's ultimately the key is that you have to build up from the ground, and you have to take it apart, show the system, show what, what happens in the system, then take it apart, teach the parts that have to be Uh, Operate first of all, making an entry pass. So penetration becomes the first principle of basketball. You know you have to penetrate the defense, and the the reality is is that you know when you penetrate the the, towards the goal, almost every game is oriented towards the goal. Baseball not so much, but you know all the sports, soccer and lacrosse, and you know uh, many of our sports uh, are goal oriented, and you need to get close or penetrate that. Area around the goal to make the defense have to shift and then provide you opportunities to score. The three point line has changed that a little bit in basketball and distorted it somewhat, but still, uh, you know, most of it's predicated now on uh, screen roll, penetration, and then find open men because you've created a situation the defense has to collapse. So it's still like the, the principle, but that, that's, you know, was you know, like the second principle after, you know, spacing. Was the penetration? You've written a lot about um, getting individuals to kind of
0: different people have different responses initially to a system, and um, I wonder you know the bigger the bigger ideals that you're talking about are they're technical like you have a key pass if this pass happens you do this but then there are these higher order things at play here which is that you know we're in this together it's bigger than just you or me it's all of us. Um, the, of course, again, a lot written about you with like the famous, you know, the biggest superstars running the system. But how how does that process play out, like getting individuals to come in and get them to say, to buy in essentially to the system, do you have examples of, of, of how that plays out? How do you get the
1: individuals to become the whole part of the system? Um. My, I think it's peer pressure Mm. is a lot of what happens when you're a coach, and you have, you know, obviously some people that are veterans or people that are experienced. uh, You know, they uh, understand that if the ball stops, if movement stops, if players aren't familiar with their active role in the an offensive system, that they're slowing the process down. And you know, then you know, a coach if he makes a substitution. It's not about you know uh, anything else but just say hey you know you're not inside the system you're not participating in the way we want to play as a team um, so that that's a standard you have a standard uh, that you hold up and it pretty much uh, is the overriding thing and a uh, coach if he's going to be effective has to emphasize how that system works and you know there's if there's not a whole lot of negativity if you Drive into another player's space. If you, you know, as I mentioned before, if you dribble drive to the corner and it's a filled a triangle or a filled area, those are things that are like, you know, okay, that's not unacceptable. But if you just come down the court in the first pass or whatever, you just jacking the ball up, that that's, you know, that's not part of what we try to do. We try to make at least three passes in our offense, initiating. An entry pass, which we don't count, and then the, a key pass, which is activates the offense, from which everybody starts to move. And first of all, you want, in my situation in coaching, you want to analyze the defense. If you don't have an outright run out, post storm, or big man being able to, you know, get a layup or guards being able to get an open shot, then you have to organize, open up the the offensive system and. Read how the defense is playing, and then activate it. So it's a kind of a process of, you know, running, organizing, spacing, recognizing the defense is back, or your 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 penetration is stopped, and then you know initiating the offense, or initiating your system which gives you an opportunity to take that two count, use footwork, recognize where the defense is and the opportunities that lie because you're now capable of reading. And so that's, you know, one of the issues about how to read, um, you know, the defense, you know, because much of what we did was called an overload offense. We tried to displace the defense so they have to occupy one side of the court and then you have an opportunity to attack what you want to attack. So that became like the integral part of it. So, <clears throat> all the build-up drills that went into uh, how do you get up the ball, the, the court with the ball, and how do you get that ball into a position where you've got this organizing space, or you've got this key pass. and How do everything happens out of this? and What are the kind of cuts you make out of this key pass? And how many varieties of cuts are you going to be able to do? And when the team gets more and more advanced, then you can do more and more things because they begin to read themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the old uh, adages about basketball when I came into the NBA was that the Celtics would won ten championships at that time uh, at six plays. They had six mm-hmm. offensive sets, they high post and low post, and they, they ran six things out of those uh, uh, plays for years. And Sam Jones and Casey Jones replaced Kuzi uh, uh, and Sean, and uh, they continued on, and Havlicek replaced uh, as a starter after being a 6 man uh, in the game, and he replaced, and uh, Bailey replaced Tommy Heinsohn, and you know Dave Collins replaced Bill Russell, and you know so forth and so on, and they continued that by uh, you know being able to execute and read each other in a way in which was a you know, kind of dominant force or un- un- unrecognizable force.
0: One of the items that Coach Ecker talks about, and I know you talked about a lot, is sustainability, which you just said, that, that as, as players come and go, if you have a system that's well well conceptualized, that
1: it can endure beyond most player changes. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> that was quite obvious in the Bulls situation and in the Lakers too, with, um, you know, the early groups won a 3 three championships in a row. And then we had players that went on free agent, retired, Michael Jordan, went to baseball, uh, came back, and when we ran the, the next repeat situation, the only two players that were from that first group were Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, and we had replaced players with the type of players that we knew could fit in and that the personality that wanted to fit in. Uh, you know we made mistakes. I mean you can uh, overemphasize sometimes or an agent might sell you on one of his players, but you know through you know like organized practices and understanding and you know play you know, then you can weed out what didn't work out.
0: That's a key challenge for a lot of our coaches are recruiting and and what, when they're out looking at players, often like you know the public reports on players are things like how many points they score. Yes. Um, that kind of stuff, and some of that is just noise. Is how do you figure out what's noise and what is what you should really be looking for? And does a system help you look for the right attributes for potential
1: players? Well, in in our game of uh, basketball, let's take that as an example because that's you know probably most proficient or knowledgeable about it. Uh, you know the AEU and college games, a lot of them are just Pure energy, just uh, raw energy, and so it's hard to understand who has poise, who's collected, and who, who understands. Because a lot of it's directed with, uh, you know, very little uh, secondary offensive players. Mm-hmm. It's point guard oriented or a dribbler. It's designated people that are screeners, uh, designated people who are shooters. And so, consequently, when you operate in a system which requires people to do all those things, be able to perform both as a passer, a ball mover, a screener, uh, you know, a shooter in their territory that their expertise at, you you have to really delineate who who can work out and who fits in best in those kind of situations. Uh, one example that uh, you know is known because of the profile of the. Person that we we chose to uh, replace uh, is Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr had been in the league in a couple of teams, uh, Cleveland, Orlando. He wasn't playing big minutes. He was a secondary, uh, maybe even not even the third guard on the team, maybe the fourth option for a coach. But you know, we'd seen him in college and seen what he'd done uh, at Arizona, uh, their college. Team And actually I had gone and scouted with Tech's winner in a regional game that they played uh, versus uh, North Carolina in uh, the western region, which they won and went on to the Final Four. And uh, we saw that even though this uh, this kid had had a knee, tore a knee uh, in college, that he had all those skills that were necessary. Um, to handle, organize the offense, was under control with the ball, could shoot the basketball, look for his teammates, uh, Was had a thoughtful approach to the game. I also had a teammate, Jed Bushler, that was on that team also, that then when we had rebuilt the uh, first championship group with the second, you know, these were players that we knew that could come in and be replacement players, because their skill level was not such that we could uh, you know, we could incorporate them in, and they would could perform in this type of a system.
0: I think the last, with regard to running a system for, especially for a lot of our younger people, i like to think about is the distinction, we touched on a little bit, between rigidity and spontaneity, in that the system is providing, if I'm understanding correctly, it's providing a very solid foundation and direction, clear foundation and direction, but allowing for spontaneity, which is different. From a complete lack of structure, and I think sometimes those things get conflated—spontaneity from a
1: foundation versus just, you know, playground ball. I used an illustration <coughs> that was uh, taught by uh, one of the uh, Zen or Buddhist teachers that I had read uh, and read his collected works, Shunro Suzuki, uh, who. Uh, is quoted in uh, is the uh, emphasis behind a book called Zen Mind, Beginner Mind. But he talks about uh, you know the mind being something similar to a pasture that you put your your cow or your goat or whatever, and if you have an unlimited pasture, an unconfined space, it it uh, allows that animal to roam and be un you know controllable in very but if you have a defined space which is he uses the mind in the simple thing if you are meditating for example in a in a certain uh, format where you're using you know the ability to allow the mind to just relax and let your thoughts go and not get upset about the fact that you're you're wandering ideas or your mind is throwing out ideas and you're grasping these ideas instead of just letting them pass like clouds in the sky like logs in a stream. They come and they go and your mind is not restricted but you're still inside this format that you've you know, made an emphasis that basketball is like that. We have a, we have a certain structure that we use but inside of that structure there's a freedom of movement and the opportunity to do things that are, you know, spontaneous. I've always, always used the idea that the, the offense was not built, you know, for a Kobe or a, a Michael Jordan or I could take um, numbers of players. They don't need an offense. The team needs an offense. The team needs to have that structure that is defining them so that they have a standard to live by or to go by. So there's a, um, something that you can mark up against, something that, uh, you can teach if you're a veteran to younger players that are coming in that gives you a certain sense of participation, that there's ultimately esprit de corps that comes from that. There's a certain unity in the group that comes from having to go through that exercise of doing. Uh, the maybe mundane parts uh, uh, over and over again, and, you know, like we, we had this theory uh, that for neuron patterning or muscle memory, which, you know, more important is more neuron uh, than muscle memory, you have to do some exercise or uh, some fundamental function seven times. You know, you can't say, okay, that's good. You did it once the right way. Uh, you have to do it multiple times. And then your body knows. And your body has to know it. And that's where the uh, book that we talked about uh, in one of our other sessions, uh, King, Golf in the Kingdom, uh, they, they talk about that in you know, the inner self. The inner self has to know instinctively how to react. It's not a thought process, and in our early, you know, preseason games or early season games when we be having new players coming in and learning the system, we're like, don't you don't have to think it out. Your body knows what to do. You, your training is it's implicitly directing you. Knows instinctively what you can do, and so that you're just functioning inside of a what's important or what's everybody else is doing. So you're not. Um, thinking alone. You're thinking together with a group. It's a team thought. So when we use meditation or mindfulness with players, we used to consider it one mind, one breath. So that's what we want to play with, with like kind of one mind. There's a higher mind and that mind is the system. And it's, uh, you know, ultimately if you made a mistake that was against what we call the basketball gods, is that you broke the rules which are implicit in the game. Freedom lot through discipline. Freedom right. through th- there's a discipline that underlies that freedom. Exactly, and you know, have a have a have a certain sense of what are the parameters, where are the parameters, and then inside that those parameters, you have the freedom of the, you know, um, spontaneity, yeah. creativity.